Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you for joining me again today. Today, we will be looking at the Bible once again, and at some stories of the great men and women of history, of what they did, their choices, their faith, and how their actions and their lives can perhaps reflect on our modern society and what lessons we can learn from them and what takeaways perhaps can give us an insight into where the world has changed from the times of antiquity into the modern day more than just technology and society and culture where the people themselves have changed in these thousands of years. Before we begin, please allow me to begin with a short prayer. If you would care to join me in folding your hands and praying along with me. Almighty God, we pray to you today for courage and for strength. We pray to you to open our hearts and to allow us to truly understand the lessons of history, the stories of the Bible, in the ways that you meant us to understand them. We pray that you give us the strength of mind and of will and of heart to not only understand what we are being taught, but to apply that in our lives, to comprehend the deepest meanings of the Bible and to use that to further our own lives for you and to act in society in your will and that we might do your will and not ours and that we might get insight through those who did act through your will who had courage and faith and who acted in your name and trusted you, no matter their circumstances. Please bless us this day as we begin our study and grant us the knowledge and insight that you wish for us to have. In your holy name, amen. And with that, we will begin. And so what I will be looking at today, and for the next few of these, are what have become known in modern times as the Seven Deadly Sins. Although they are not defined as such in the Bible, nor are they listed anywhere, they are a Catholic tradition which has become understood in modern society and they do provide a very useful reference point and they do provide a very good window of insight into sin and the nature of sin. Additionally, we will be looking at the fruits of the spirit of which there are nine. And so for seven, there shall be a pairing between the sins and the fruits of the spirit. And the final shall be the final two fruits of the Spirit, as well as some other sins 
and natures of sin that we as humans tend to fail and tend to encounter in our lives. And so we will start with the first of the fruits of the Spirit, oh, rather the first of the seven deadly sins, which is lust. And so we will be in a few different chapters for this. And so if you would like to bookmark them in your Bible, I would advise you to do so, to pause and take the time to bookmark them so that you do not have to spend so much time finding them again. The first will be the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 27. The second will be the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 5. And the third will be the book of First Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 18. If you would like to take the time now to pause and bookmark those three chapters so that you can find them later, that would, would probably be wise. So let us begin with the first of those, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 27. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so are the words of Jesus, that adultery is not merely the act, but even the intention, that lust in, even the thought of lust, the desire for a woman is the same as the act itself, that the intent is all that matters, the intent of our heart, the sin of our heart. And this is the way for most things, that it is the intent of our heart that matters, not what we do. For to allow our hearts to act in such a way is to express their deepest desires. And to look at a married woman, or even an unmarried woman, with lust in your heart, with the intent, even if you do not do the act of adultery, that is lust, and it corrupts, and it pervades our lives, and it makes us turn from what would be purity and the path that we should follow. In the same way, Jesus warns us that should this happen, that we should, as he says, gouge out your eye rather than have your whole body thrown into hell. This is not a literal instruction from Jesus. It is, as many things he said, it is hyperbole. It is figurative. What he is saying is that it is better 
to lose something important to you than to allow that thing to continue to destroy you. And this can be the same in relationships as well. If there is a relationship that you have, a friend or someone you know, who acts in this way, who is lustful towards you, and who makes you tempted to fail, to commit these sins, then perhaps it is better to cut off from them than to continue to allow them to tempt you. It's a difficult decision and not one that should be done lightly, but it is better to lose one, even one who is important to you, than to allow yourself to be wholly consumed by the sin. And in the same way, you notice that Jesus specifically says that a diverse woman commits adultery, except in the case of sexual immorality. This has always been a controversial topic among Christianity, that divorce is never recognized because marriage is holy and sacred. And this is true. Marriage is sacred and holy, and it should not be able to be broken lightly or easily, and it should not be possible for people to divorce and remarry many times, for that pervades the very nature of marriage. However, there is a difference between marriage in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man. Marriage by the government is not the same as marriage in the eyes of God. And to be married in the eyes of God should, by its very nature, require that a man and a woman commit their hearts and souls to each other, and there should never be a need for divorce. For if a man and woman are truly married before God, they should be bound in ecclesiastical union, not merely in a union by the laws of man. And so it should not be the same. But to divorce simply for divorce's sake and to remarry, especially if this divorce happens because of lust, because one of the parties, or perhaps both, became lustful of others and committed adultery, whether in their minds or in fact. This is a very common issue in today's society, especially. And so with that, let us move to the second of our chapters, which is the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul, written nearer to the end of his life, when he was arrested by the Romans, and he's writing to the town of Colossae, to the church, and reminding them of many of these things. And in it, he says, put to death those parts of your earthly nature, including such things as immorality, sexual impurity, and lust. These are parts of our earthly nature, and by their very nature are sins. They are corrupting. They stand against all that God 
has for us, all that God is, and all that makes up God's nature. And so it is, by definition, an act against God to engage in sexual immorality or lust or evil desires, which can include lust or greed, which can also include lust, greed in wanting more than you have and not being content. And impurity, sexual impurity, is another of those lustful acts. And Paul is not telling us to completely ignore our human nature. No one can do such a thing. We are all human, and we all have human temptations. But through God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we can ignore those earthly temptations. And we can ignore our earthly nature in that way and put to death all of these things and rid ourselves of all of these things. It is through faith in God that we can rise above lust and impurity and immorality. That we can be better than ourselves and we can show ourselves as an example, as a beacon, so to speak of what humans can be. For if we set Christ as our focus, then all else fades away, and included is all earthly desires, all earthly failings, all of our earthly sins. These things fall away in the face of our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul himself spoke on multiple occasions of such things. He himself was a Jew who converted to follow Christ after he saw Christ. And he understood that you cannot rid yourself of your earthly nature, but on your own, by yourself. But he did so with the direct intervention of Christ. He became one of the strongest advocates for what the power of Christ can do, for he knew firsthand. And he writes in this letter to all of us, even these thousand years later, that we too can overcome lust, and we can keep ourselves, even in today's society, where it is quite difficult to go far without seeing lustful people and lustful attitudes and these impure actions we can keep ourselves above that impurity and we can keep ourselves holy and humans we will fail especially in today's society we will fail but it is not about failing for all have fallen short of the glory of god but there is redemption in christ our lord it is not about failing once it is about trying your best doing everything you can and getting back up if you do fail and repenting your sins and trying to avoid them again learning from your mistakes and trying everything you can to avoid these mistakes Christ took all sin on the cross but it is our duty to do everything we can to avoid the sin in the first place and when we do sin to do everything we can to avoid these sins if one were to fail one must not become discouraged in heart, for lust is difficult to avoid these days. But we must do everything we can, and 
in time it becomes easier. It becomes second nature to avoid these things and to act in the name and by the Spirit of God. It becomes something that is instinctive and you no longer notice as much all of these other things around you. And when you do, they become distant and very obviously sinful. And you can tell yourself in your heart that you want no part of them and that they are not within the will of God. And with that, let us turn to our final verse of the sin of lust, and that will be the book of First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. However, we are actually going to start at verse 12. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Sexual immorality. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies and so here paul is writing to the church of the corinthians and he is telling us all of us once again that sexual immorality is by its very nature a sin not only against god but against all believers for we are all one in the body of christ and it is a sin as he says a sin inside the body, not a sin outside the body. It is a sin against oneself, for all other sins are external. The other sins of greed and wrath and pride are sins outside against others. But sexual immorality, lust, adultery, they hurt ourselves more than anything. There are sins against our spirits, sins against the soul. They do not leave physical harm, in most cases, as many others do. They do not show their outward signs, but they are sins against ourselves and against our own spiritual well-being. And they leave us feeling guilty and sinful and shameful. And those who commit adultery often feel bad, for they know they have done wrong. Even though perhaps no one will know, they will act as though they have done something wrong, even if they will not admit that they have. They know it in their hearts, and they feel guilty for their sins. 
And Paul goes on to say in chapter 7 that sexual immorality does not occur between a husband and a wife, and that sexual contact should occur within the proper bonds of marriage. That it is not sinful in itself, it is the circumstance which is. But like marriage, it is a sacred act that should only occur within the bonds of marriage. And that lust outside of marriage is a sin. It is a sin against one's own body and against the body of Christ. And it is a sin that does not harm others as much, but it harms the temple that our bodies are. For our bodies are temples of Christ, temples of God, bought with the blood of Christ and by sacrifice. And a sexual sin, the sin of lust, is a sin more than any other against that temple. A desecration of the price paid for our bodies and our redemption. And once again it is said that the common belief, the trap that many people fall into is this idea that since sin is forgiven that it does not matter what we do. But this is untrue. Simply having the ability to do something or the power to do something does not mean one should do it. Merely being forgiven of our sin does not mean that we should commit these sins. Committing these sins is a sin, and we know it is. We should strive to live our lives for ourselves, for they shall know us by our love, they shall know us by our actions. And for Christians who lust, that is one of the most common sins, I do believe. Not just among Christians, but among many in today's society. And we have seen it happen many times where a pastor or a religious leader commits adultery, where they fall from grace, for they cheat on their wife or their husband. And it is an understandable sin, but it is a sin against the body of believers. It is a betrayal of what Christ died for, of what God stands for, and for what the Holy Spirit guides us to do. And even though it is forgiven by God, and it should be forgiven by man too, there are not a lack of consequences for our actions, both on earth and in heaven. For if we, the Christians, the believers, the members of the body, cannot be seen to be above all of the sin, then why should anyone else move away from it either? Let us turn now to the other part of time, and that is the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are referenced by the Apostle Paul, writing in the book Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The first of these fruits of the Spirit is the fruit of love. Love for ourselves, love for God, even in our hardest times, even when it is difficult for us, even when we do not feel as though we should love. It is our duty to show the love of God to others.
for they will know we are Christians by the love that they see. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says to us, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Throughout the Gospels, time and time and time again, Jesus speaks of love, and he demonstrates the love of God, and the love that we as believers, and the love that we as people, should have from one another. If we do not love our fellow man, if we do not love others, then we do not act them to God. We do not truly portray Christ if we do not act first and foremost with love for others. Everything we do, all of our actions, even our criticisms, even our harsh words, everything we do, Everything we say should be born from love. We should be speaking to others, and interacting with others, and even correcting others they love, and from a place of love and caring, and the Lord should be shown in everything that we do. It is our place to show a Christ-like agape love for everyone that we meet, and so the Bible says, let us love our enemies and pray for those who love us. In the book of Acts, as the disciple Stephen is being stoned by an angry mob for preaching the truth of God, his final words are a prayer, a prayer of forgiveness for those who persecute him. The Lord forgive them, he said, for they know not what they do. He acted out of love, even for those who were in the process of killing him. And perhaps most famously in the Bible, in the book of John, when Jesus challenges Peter about love, in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Let us turn there now, if you will. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was perplexed because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know of all of them. You know that I love you. In English, this has a specific meaning. It is Jesus asking Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? And it is Jesus asking him to confirm that he does love him. But in the original Greek, the meaning is far more significant. The Greeks had a many words for love. In the original verse, the first two times, Jesus asks, Peter, son of John, do you agape me? And Peter responded, not with agape, but with phileo. Phileo is the Greek word to describe 
love of a friend, whereas agape is this deep, soul-consuming, ultimate love, not a romantic or platonic love, but this ultimate love, the deepest form of love, the kind of love that Jesus showed us, and the love that is ultimate above all things. And Peter cannot bring himself to say it. The third time Jesus asks him, Peter, son of John, do you love me? He uses Peter's form, the word love. He says, do you phileo me? And Peter responds, I phileo you. I love you, Lord, as a friend. And he cannot bring himself to say it. Even when Peter is unable to bring himself to say it, Jesus still loves him and expresses his desire to love him and to be loved by him. He gives him a chance after chance after chance because he truly loves in a way that we cannot love, but that we must yet strive to love. This is the love of Christ, the love of God. This is what we as Christians and as believers and as members of the body of Christ must show to the world. For if we do not show them love, they will turn against us. They will turn against us either way. But if we can turn the other cheek, if we can stand firm and show love to the world, then and only then can we make the world a better place. For Christ so loved us, he was willing to die on the cross, that he knew all of our sins. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he saw every sin that humanity would ever commit, and yet still he chose to die for us on the cross. And later, at the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit sent to us as an act of love to give us yet another guide from God, another chance to understand the love of God and to proclaim the love of God to the world. It is our sacred duty and our charge from the Lord to us, to those of us who answer his call, who have accepted Christ, and to help those who have not accepted with him, to understand why we stand for God, why we believe in God, why we let our faith guide us, and why we still follow the word of God, even so many thousands of years later so many years after Jesus, why we continue to follow him, we show them through our love why that matters. Love, in such a manner, is not exclusively a religious action, but it is more that only those who have something to stand for, who have the love of God to see and to look up to as an example, to truly understand the magnitude of what the Lord gave us, and why we should strive to reach that level. We should not allow ourselves to stop trying or to give up merely because we have failed. And no matter how many times we fail, how many times we are knocked back or break or allow ourselves to be caught in the way that Jesus told us not to be, we must always keep loving. We must always keep trying. They will hate us, and they will attack us, 
They will come after us. The world will turn against us. The world always turns against that which it fears. And the evil in the world fears more than anything. The love of God. So the love of God, the love of Yehwah, is the one thing that can unite people together. It is the thing that will overcome all evil and all sin. For it is the love of God that defeated sin in the first place. It is the love of God by which Christ shall defeat death and defeat the devil forever. And it is through the love of God that we can defeat sin in the world. We will never succeed on our own, but with the love of God we can make a difference. And this is our greatest purpose in life and in the world to make that difference. In this way, the Bible tells us that we should love those around us, and that we should love our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents. But we must be cautious for the love for one that we are attracted to is a good and biblical thing. But we must be careful not to let that become for us. We must be careful not to fall into the trap, the devil's trap, of believing that what we feel for someone is a love, and that it is therefore biblical and right to pursue someone. Often it is someone who is already married, or you yourself might be married, or in some other way, in a place where it is not appropriate. And it is all too easy to fall into the trap of the devil, especially in today's world, where we are taught to believe that all that we feel is love, when in fact most of it is merely lost, is attraction and physical, but it is not true love. It is not a biblical love. And we must be careful that that is a great trap of the devil. And we must also be careful that our love for others, our biblical God-like love for others, does not turn into arrogance, and that we do not place ourselves above those in the world. For that is the other great trap of the devil, that our love for the world turns into hypocrisy, as we place ourselves above the world. For Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If we are to truly bring love to the world, then we must be its servants. We must demonstrate our love, not by our words, but by our actions. They must see our love first. And when they see our love, then they might be able to understand where our love comes from. We must not use our faith to show our love, but we must use our love to show our faith. And that will be the conclusion. I thank everyone for listening, and I pray that God bless us all of you. Take into your hearts what you have heard and what you have read, and continue to meditate on these things, let your minds and your hearts become focused and centered 
and allow them to change your life and to help you to live your life as a better Christian and as a better servant of God and as a better person in the world. Lord, I pray to everyone who listens, who is out there, who is struggling with their love, whether it be loving yourself or loving others, or with how to show your love. I pray that you speak to them and give them the pain to understand that they are loved by you and by us, and that they can show their love to the world, to them, and through your grace and your strength. Even our best, which is not enough, is enough by your grace. In the third Amen. Thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God's blessings be upon you. Thank you.